Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Flood, and I'm joined today by Vincent Dignan. He's the author of Secret Sauce, and we connected because he's the co-author. We interviewed Austin Allred on this podcast a few episodes ago, and um, Austin told me about Vincent's story, and basically he was living on welfare and benefits three years ago in the UK, um, could barely get by, and he learned growth hacking through Austin's blog, I believe, and Learned some of these growth hacking techniques to get millions of visitors to websites that he created. He started this content site, planetiv.com, in July of 2012, and he's getting 300,000 visitors a month by November of 2012. (laughs) Uh, Do do you want to mute mute yourself? (laughs) That's all right. I'll I'll edit that bit out there. (laughs) It's a long intro, sorry. He started a content site, planetiv.com, in July of 2012, and he was getting 300,000 visitors a month by November of 2012, so that's a little over six, around six months, or maybe less than that, I think. Uh, in, t- in 2015, he hijacked the SXSW hashtag for South X, uh, what does that sound? Southwest by? South by Southwest. South by Southwest, okay. Start over again. <laughs> In 2015, he hijacked the SXSW hashtag, South by Southwest, and got 1,700 people to attend his event. Um, he's done all kinds of things. He's, got, he's been in the Techstars Accelerator. He's launched a growth hacking agency and used his techniques to move hundreds of thousands of people to clients' websites, getting tons of users and followers, helping startups to increase their traffic and revenue. Uh, most recently, he raised more than 65000 for his ebook through Kickstarter, with just a month's worth of preparation time. So I know this is going to be a really fun discussion. I'm very excited to have Vincent on the show. Vincent, welcome, and uh, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. So you took time out of your day. You're out in the countryside. You were uh, hanging out with cows today and just having a kind of relaxing morning. I just want to say thank you for taking your time to be here. It's my pleasure. I know it's hard to, to get away from those cows, huh? <laughs> well, it's, it's nice to be on podcasts. So tell me a little bit uh, about yourself in your own world, uh, excuse me, in your own words, and uh, a little bit about your backstory. Yeah, I was on welfare benefits three years ago, pretty much until a day I was given a check for a quarter million dollars to start Planet IV, my first online magazine. So, like... It was a very quick succession. So we went from zero to 300,000 visitors a month in six months. Within one year, we had a million visitors a month on the site. We then launched a second site, Screen Robot, that got to a million visitors a month in 100 days. We got into the Techstars Accelerator when we were getting two million visitors a month. Uh, then we launched an agency, Magnific. So we write content for other people. We grow other people's startups. We grow their communities. We do a lot of training and consulting, helping companies uh, use all of our techniques for their specific needs. Uh, I travel around the world giving talks on growth hacking. I've given 45 talks in North America so far this year. Uh, I won Best Talk at South by Southwest V2V last summer. Uh, I worked with the royal family, Prince Andrew, the sixth in line to the throne, um, I met Princess Beatrice, his daughter, told her what I was working on. She asked for my business card, but she has not emailed me yet. Um, I am still <laughs> waiting for that return. <laughs> that sounds amazing, Vincent. I mean, you really changed your life around in a very short time, it seems like. Um, what were you doing po- uh, prior to 2012? What was your life like? I was unemployed and unemployable. Um, when I first had an idea to do a startup, um, I'd been fired twice that summer. Um, and the idea me and my co-founder, Lewis, wanted to do, and it still hasn't been done, is something that replaces MySpace. And everyone has had this idea at some point uh, because we, we uh, hold MySpace in such high regard. Um, it was such a brilliant site. Um, it was all about the music. 
It was the first social network. Um, it had a brilliant style. The way you could edit the HTML was uh, fantastic. Um, yeah, and there hasn't really been a community like it. I, I guess YouTube has become a juggernaut and mobile has become a juggernaut, which both both way, way bigger than MySpace. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a great time. There was a lot going on in music that was really innovative, which to a certain extent isn't happening so much on such a grand scale. There's a lot of innovation in music, but it's in micro niches. Uh, the bands that are big right now are people like FKA Twigs. Really interesting, really original, but no songs, like no hooks, no choruses. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm a sucker for pop music um, written by alternative musicians. Uh, I guess I'm going off on a tangent here. That's yeah, right. So, so before, I, well, you, you mentioned you got, um, so you had this idea for a startup. You got fired from two yeah. jobs. Um, did, did you feel frustrated with where you were? I mean, did you ever feel like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely destined for more than this, um, you know, but clearly the <clears throat> life isn't agreeing with me or, or something's yeah, out, of, I, out of alignment? I never know quite how to answer this because <laughs> being a welfare wasn't that bad. Uh, I was still working and I was reading and I was learning. So it wasn't like I was idle. Um, I was reading a lot of books. I read The 48 Laws of Power. And for me, that book was by far the most important I read when I was in that period. Um, understanding human psychology, like that book made uh, a ton of sense. That and how to win friends and influence people. Um, when I started to then pitch my idea to people and start to get the word out and start to get money from agencies to advertise on Planet Ivy, you know, those books were really important. So I definitely recommend anyone starting out to read those. Um, I always recommend like six books. Um, the Hard Thing About Hard Things is in there, like the best book ever written on business management. So it has... So most business books are like how to increase sales, how to increase motivation, where this one is like how to fire someone, what to do when your co-founder isn't pulling their weight, how to know if your product manager is doing a good job, uh, how to do an appraisal of a member of staff, like super practical things written by someone who's IPO'd two companies, I think. Um, so that's an incredible book. Um, I, I could talk all day about books. Um, you're, all you're, great. You're definitely really a reader. Uh, yeah. So you do a lot of reading. Um, I'm wondering what uh, lessons you took from like how to win friends and influence people or 48 Laws of Power. Like I can imagine a few lessons like uh, that book mentions using the the work of other people to advance your own interests is uh, one <laughs> lesson I remember from 48 Laws of Power. Uh, what, what did you take and how did you apply what you learned to your life? Well, I, I like themes across both of those books is that when you meet someone, they just talk and talk um, like it, it's so much more powerful to listen and analyze what they're saying rather than just waiting for your turn to speak and then just wanting to say your part. Um, I really think books like this actually train us out of our natural selfishness. Mm. Like it's natural not to listen, not to smile. Um, not to compliment the other person, uh, to contradict, complain, or condemn the other person. Like, we as humans are obsessed with being right all the time. Like one, one of my favorite rules in How to Win Friends is allow the other person to save face. Like, if you know the other person wrong, um, you know, give a uh, concede the point anyway. Um, you know, they get to be they get to not feel embarrassed, which will, if they're embarrassed, it'll bring up their ego and hostility towards you. Um, you don't get to look right, but it doesn't matter. Like the other person is going to like you more. I see so many pointless arguments uh, everywhere and so much conflict. And what do people get out of it? Yeah. So, so a really important lesson is just being able to uh, take yourself out of your own head and into the mind of another person. And I, I can see why that would serve you so well. Uh, when yeah. you're doing growth hack marketing and you're so right like you know like you meet someone and you introduce yourself and two minutes later they're asking you what your name was again you know they couldn't even remember your name and it's yeah that's common of more than you know maybe 60 more than 60 percent of people or more you know like are like this i think good, yeah. good portion of people I, I rarely meet someone who's listening and in fact um when it's a mark of a smart person and or a good salesperson 
um, when you're introducing yourselves and they say you first because then they, you know that they know the game, you know? Right. And uh, because obviously you want them to speak first so you can, you can reply it in a way that will make it relevant for them. Of course. And I see that you're doing this because, uh, you know, I've, when I followed you on Twitter, um, I was getting these automated messages from you, and I see how you're applying this through social media. And I kind of do some of the same stuff, like um, they talk about asking compliance questions, and you move a prospect up the yes ladder where um, you basically ask them a question that's impossible to say no to. So, so you asked me, you sent me some message like, hey, would you like to increase your traffic, revenue, and sales, or whatever like this? I'm like, well, of course I do, Vincent, you know? <laughs> so you got, you got my attention right off the bat, you know? But, like, car salesmen will do this, too. Like, they'll say, boy, Vincent, sure is great weather today, isn't it? And unless you're going to be, like, really Rose or uh, really British, I guess you wouldn't say, no, it's horrible weather. Um, but, but basically, like, you're just really getting them to – you're saying a question that's getting them over to your side, and then they start paying attention to you. They start listening to you. And then you kind of lead them along this path where they think that you have the answer to get them what they want, right? Yeah, well, it's it's just about giving people what they want. Um, it's, it's really as basic as that. And so many people don't think about that. They think about what they think people want or what they want, thus what other people will want. It's like the whole reason to this day most entrepreneurs do not speak to their potential audience enough. Uh, they're scared that their idea won't work. They're scared of conflict, um, and it will cause so many problems. Like uh, I have a new side project idea um, that I came up with on the plane back from America, and um, I was getting I was getting into it. I was really exciting, and then it was like write that, and I made myself write down fifteen people who will use this today, and I got to like five and got stuck. Um, you know, I just, I, and then, so I pivoted the idea around something else and there'll be changes, but I wonder how many people do exercises like that. Like if, if you can't find these people straight away, um, and some people would say, well, you do personas and it's like, yeah, personas are good, but they're imaginary. Uh, they're good only once you really know those people and you can group them up into something similar. But yeah, so the answer is how many people do you you know but you're that close to the audience that you know that they will love this so um when you when you write down 15 people i mean what's what do you do next are you trying to start conversations with them and just kind of get inside their head or walk me through your process peter Thiel says great products do not need sales and marketing teams they sell themselves okay and that's one of those things you read which really hurts because it's clearly true um, like in, in the way products like Instagram, Snapchat and Facebook go viral without any sales spend. And, and that's the whole idea of growth hacking. Growth hacking can only ever be a, attached to great products. You can't grow like a bad product. Um, yeah, I really like that phrase um, because then all you have to do is um, increase awareness and you don't need to sell. To a certain extent, that's what we've done with this book. Um, like we just have to tell people about it and they go and buy it. Um, right. like my, my growth book. Yeah. It's, it's implied in the messaging of this book that, um, if you make an investment, I think the book costs around, uh, around $50 or so, give or take. Or yeah. The, the base book is $50 and then the no brainer package with free webinars and discounts on software and other bonuses is like a hundred. Okay, so it's implied that if, if you make an investment of $50 or 100 that um, you're going to see results, uh, which will help you get back several times your investment afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've only released like a couple of chapters. From one guy who got 200,000 views on his YouTube video, he got an email from someone this morning that they've uh, got, they were on zero, I think they had 13,000 new users for their a software as a service. Wow. Just well, okay, I want to I want to I want to transition to that. But first, I want to ask you: um, Would this work for other types of products? You know, like um, if someone listening to this might have another type of product, like uh, that doesn't promise you know that you're going to get money back, um, but it does have some kind of benefit. You know, but but just something that's more intangible. Yes. Well, the three things people pay for: get laid, get paid, lose weight. Are you one of those three? 
Um, get paid doesn't have to be money. It could be ego, like Instagram, for instance. But yeah, those are the three things that people will generally pay for. So if by going to your blog and listening to your podcast, they will come up with ideas to be more productive, to make more sales, then they're going to be into what you're doing. Mm. You know, my favorite, but the only podcast I listen to is James Altucher. And I was thinking about my new morning routine, and that's heavily influenced by Miracle Morning, uh, the Miracle Morning author James Altucher had on his show. Then I read an outline of the Miracle Morning book, and now I'm trying it. It's like, yeah, you need to try this for like 30, 60, 90 days. I'm on the third day right now. Um, you know, I become an advocate for James Altucher's podcast because I've been like, oh, I started doing webinars because he had a guest on that did that. I've started doing Miracle Mornings. I had a guest on that did that. Uh, I've started to look up, uh, is it Ramit Sethi, who does I Will Teach You To Be Rich, because he was on the podcast. Like, it's ridiculous value, the guests he has on his show. Um, and, yeah, they change my behavior and life. So, you know, that's ridiculous value for something that's free. Tell me about your morning ritual. And um, then again, tell me why, why you're doing this morning ritual and what do you get out of it? Because I know a lot of people out there are saying, oh, you should do a morning ritual, but they don't tell you why. And um, I was having this conversation with uh, Nick Wood. He has a podcast, Life Athletics. And um, uh-huh. we, we were basically, to, in a nutshell, we were saying that like people will do things without like a compelling reason why. And I think that you obviously have very compelling reasons why to do what you're doing. Um, mm. So I want to start out with, tell me about your morning ritual, and then I want to get into your why. So, it's it, well, firstly, it's only three days old, so it's real new. <laughs> but uh, it's basically no screens for the first hour. Uh, like, I get up as soon as the alarm goes off. Like, I don't hit snooze. Um, I Right now, because I'm jet-lagged, I'm walking for a mile, but it will soon be running for a mile, um, like in the countryside. Then I meditate, I write down my uh, goals for the day and anything I'm feeling anxious about. Um, then I eat oatmeal and I begin. It's real simple, um, but it's just a case of coming to your laptop with a fresh mind. Um, and rather than you just walk up to your laptop first thing, like as I have been for a long time, um, yeah, yeah. especially last year. Um, when I started my agency and I was really the only one working on it, uh, I wouldn't leave the house for a week. I had weeks, months where I would not leave the house. I would go once a week to buy groceries and then I would just work the rest of the time. So you kind of get diminishing returns and then you kind of get like very close to burnout. So I wrote this controversial article on burnout, um, like 80% like it, the 20% who really dislike it. Um, it's certainly controversial, but for the most part, everyone I meet and have met in startups don't work hard enough. Like they, they shouldn't be at networking events four or five nights a week drinking beer. Um, if they really want to do big things, you know, the, like the people they idolize, uh, Zuckerberg, Jobs, Musk, they work 12 to 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so if those people are idolizing those people, then they should really advocate for doing the same thing. So you're going to be close to burnout, but the good news is when it starts, when you start to burn out, then it's a time to go, right, what do I need to be doing less of? What can I cut out? And then you can become more productive through doing it. Um, it's not like a near death burnout, but you have to be putting in crazy hours and not seeing your family and friends. Um, yeah, it, it has to be an all-hours thing. Like, I still always sleep for eight hours. Uh, I still eat healthy. Um, I still party in America, although I rarely drink alcohol, which allows me to do both. But, um, yeah, you have to put in serious hours. Like, everyone loves my talk because I'm like, Here's Charlie app. Type in anyone's email address and find all the public information about them. So when you go to a meeting, you can wow them. Here's Email Hunter. Type in any email, any company's website and find all the email addresses of people who work at that company. Um, here is how you get Twitter followers using Crowdfire. Just tap in your competitors' Twitter and Instagram followers. Follow 500 per day. About 100 will follow you back. 
Uh, so people are like, yes, shortcuts, shortcuts. Yes, I, I have lots of shortcuts, <laughs> and um, I could talk all day about those. But uh, the the other part is, yeah, like in my how to hack your sales and personal branding, I'm like, you just have to have your ass in the chair a hell of a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, there's very little shortcuts. Like uh, I was in L.A., and I worked from like morning till midnight and then went to a warehouse party in Skid Row. I was like, that is a good day. Like loads of work and then like fun at the very end. Like that that for me is, yeah, like good living. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I totally agree. I read your article and you said in that article that, um, well, first of all, it's called, you say that burnout is a good thing. And mm. um, what you argue is that being at the point where you're almost feeling like you're burnt out, that's where you make the most growth. And I think it's so true because yeah. it usually happens because you're encountering this resistance, like Stephen Pressfield says, he calls it the resistance. And it's because you're doing something that feels uncomfortable to you. And if you're doing something that feels uncomfortable to you, that's, chances are that you're breaking uh, ground into new territory. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the logic there. Yeah. And I kind yeah. of... I have a, I kind of feel a similar way to you, you know, where people ask me, what do you feel about balance? And I just feel like it's, it's really kind of BS, you know, I just, I want to savor every moment. I want to give myself, I want to show up completely for every moment. So if I'm going to work and working well, I'm not going to stop and, you know, suddenly take the rest of the day off. So I have 50, 50 balance. Um, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I can, uh, complete whatever I want to get done. And then I'll, I'll take a week off and not focus on work at all or, or just take some time off and just shut it off completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of how you do it too? Yeah. Cool. Um, <clears throat> so I'm really curious, like, how you're able to kind of deliver some of these results so quickly. Like, you mentioned that you, you've, you've raised hundreds of thousands, you, you said, and you got a, a check for 250000 when you were just starting out. Uh, I want to ask you about that. You, uh, I'm curious, how, what was your strategy to get to 300,000 visits and what kind of content you were posting on that site? Um, could you tell me a little bit about this, starting with uh, when you got that two hundred fifty thousand dollar check for Planet Ivy? Sure. So we tell me the story. So, well, the first thing on day one of the company was call up every university in the country um, uh, that did uh, journalism, and we said, well, I said, we're building the largest new online magazine. It's going to be the coolest online magazine in the country. Um, it's going to be a much better place to write than your own blog and you'll get editorial feedback. So then I started to get the first lot of writers who wanted to write and we were just like, anything goes, like just as long as it's cool and interesting. I was the only editor. I was so poor. I didn't have a laptop that could run WordPress. So there was a Hoxton hotel had free computers for guests to like, uh, print out their plane tickets or whatever. And I would go there all day and like use WordPress and like, um, edit articles and put them out live. So I started to get a lot of content in. Um, and then I was always looking for sites to put it on. So like, yes, we were doing social media, but uh, we were also looking at social news. So there was a film site, Film Watch. There was a football site, 442. There was um, Reddit. There was Fark, F-A-R-K. There were, so there were lots and lots of little sites um, where traffic goes. So the business model back then was uh, banner ads and native content. So it's just traffic. So all of these sites send traffic out all day to different places. So we would just make sure that we were in the right places. And I wouldn't work unless the product, the content was good. So we were getting 15 to 20 articles written per day. So we soon got editors in. So one in every 10 or 15 would go viral, one of a better word, would start to get hundreds or thousands of views. Um, so we we had produced a lot of content knowing that a percentage of it would go viral. And that was basically it. And we would have articles picked up by Huffington Post and The Week, Inquisitor, Gorka. So they would be linking back to us and sending us traffic. So we would be breaking stories. Uh, they would get to it and they would send us traffic. Um, and, yeah, so we had some stories picked up in loads of places and send tens of thousands of visitors. Like the first uh, winter of Planet Ivy, um, we had articles that were sending us so much traffic every day 
that uh, I just went on holiday over Christmas with my ex-girlfriend. And yeah, we just check the analytics every day and then I go and sit on the beach. <laughs> so that was the start of Planet IB. <laughs> uh, and then when we started Screen Robot, just like, well, we know where all this traffic's coming from. Let's just create a film and gaming site. And then so we had all that traffic there. So we had all of these things. And then during Techstars, people were like, well, can you do that for us? And we we're like, oh, we're not an agency. We're a magazine. But then we were like, but people were offering us money. And we were like, oh, yeah. So <laughs> now we have all of these skills and everyone seems amazed at what we have. And that's really how the agency started. Like we had no intention of doing it. Uh, we just had all these writers and all this idea for social media. And it just naturally sprung from there. Okay, so for someone who's listening, if you didn't uh, catch, if you missed any of that or didn't catch all of that, um, when when you worked with one of these clients, for example, or you went into their blog, um, could you break down that process into steps, or do you have like a, a blog post where someone could get more information about this on your site? What we do. do yeah, um, yeah. So could you could you break down the process like um, this this procedure that you've created, maybe like in like four or five steps. Uh, just, just like to make it really simple to people, and then I can which, go back and listen to which procedure. Sorry, um, just, just for like, if so, so you, um, you said you had people coming to you, and they're saying, "Oh, can you come do this for us?" Yeah. Uh, you come in, um, you know, just tell me how you would help them to to grow their traffic, similar to what you did with Planet Ivy. Well, we we tended to work with startups who needed to get users, and we still do. Okay. Um, so so we, we, we can grow other people's magazines, uh, if that's what you're asking. So we had one client, um, that was creating a student TV channel and they wanted a bigger social footprint. So we got our writers writing content for them every day. And then we used our Twitter network of like 150,000 plus followers. It's now about 200, 150,000 plus to get those articles out. So they went from zero to 50,000 visitors a month pretty quickly um, because we had such a strong distribution network. So what I say with content is it's 10% the content and 90% distribution. So you have to get a hell of a lot of people, you know, through a big email list or through a big Twitter following or Facebook or Facebook. You have to have some way of getting um, people to see the content. So that's how we grow content sites, and we've grown a few of those. But, more, but what we do more so is we help startups get their initial users, like from zero to 5,000 is like our sweet spot. So if they have a product where they're looking to um, solve a problem for a group of people, then we go out and find those people um, and introduce them on platforms like Twitter and Instagram. Um, and then people visit the site or visit the app, and then they download it and enjoy it. So what you said, um, you said it's 20% creating content, 80% distribution, right? That's what you said? Uh, 10, 10 and 90. Oh, 10 I mean, and 90. It could be 20, 80. It's obviously not a real stat, but yeah. Yeah, but, the, but, it, but most bloggers, they do it the other way around. They do 90%, uh, they spend 90% of the time creating stuff and maybe like 10%. Uh, they're not getting enough distribution, basically. And as you spoke, you reminded me of another lesson from 48 Laws of Power where he says, um, what is unseen counts for nothing. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of like, it seems like you're... What do you mean? Um, well, just that, that they're not, you know, they're not, they're broadcasting to an empty audience. You know, they don't have an audience to broadcast their content to. Uh, so could you tell me some of your, what are the best hacks that you've done um, to I know that Austin mentioned that you guys were able to build a list of uh, more than ten thousand in a month uh, yeah. for your Kickstarter. Uh, uh -huh. Can you tell me what's what are some of the things that are working best for you right now? So um, really, um, in terms of the book, we haven't really done any super hack which brought millions of people overnight. Uh, people might disagree with me on this point. Some things just can't get PR. Like Kickstarters are 90% PR. That's the acquisition source that begins the viral spiral. So typically, if you look at any Kickstarter that's been successful, they get a heap of press on the first day, and then they hit at least 50% of their target, and then they, they get little bits of press throughout, and then they overhit their task. And then, of course, once you get press, then you get Facebook, then you get Twitter off the back of it and other stuff. 
Um, so my friend runs Blazon PR, one of the biggest crowdfunding agencies in Europe, raised millions of dollars for companies on crowdfunding. So uh, I sat up a meeting with him. So I turned up, we're friends anyway, so we were just chatting about stuff. And I was just like, so I'm doing a crowdfunding, the ultimate growth hacking book. Um, what do you think? And I expect him to go, well, you know, we've raised millions and here's what we would do if we were you. Um, I expect him to pitch me and I go, go on then, I'll give you some money. But he just went, oh, so you're doing an ebook. Well, you won't get any press for that. And then he went back to his laptop. And I was like, oh, so that's that. <laughs> and at that moment I realized, well, yeah, some things can't get PR. Like so many people have, for want of a better term, like boring or normal products or products people have done a million times before. Like I'm doing a marketing product, a marketing book. It's not the first time it's done it. If you look at what gets press on Kickstarter, it's quirky products, it's technological breakthroughs. Um, and I see so many startups who the acquisition plan is we're going to get press. Well, if you don't, then your company's literally over in the first week. Um, so... Yeah, so in terms of what we've done for the Kickstarter, it's just been no silver bullets, just a lot of consistent lead bullets. So um, all of the network we're building on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and email, we, um, we just made sure all of those people knew that we had this product coming out. Um, I gave a lot of talks as well during the Kickstarter book tour um, across America and London. Um, and then bit by bit, we kind of crawled up to where we are now, which is $70,000. So what I like about this is it's not reliant on anyone else. All of this, we built ourselves. It may have had a lower ceiling than the book, than the products, which earn $400,000 because they get a lot of press. But um, what I like with this is that I can now teach anyone how to do this. Um, it's not so like if you look at all the other Kickstarter guides, they all rely on that massive amount of press on the first day. And they're all like, here's how to email press. Well, believe me, they get the press, get hundreds of those emails every day. Um, you know, if you don't have a product that's PRable or you do have a product that's PRable and you just get the messaging slightly wrong, uh, you don't get the right press hook, um, then you don't get it. So like right now, I'm all about community management just building a community of people who are interested in what you're doing over time and then um, eventually having an ask. Like, I've been giving these talks for over a year. We've built my network for three years, really. And this is the first time I've ever asked for money. So, um, yeah, I'm all about community and social media. <sighs> yeah, and I think you've done that really well. And um, I just want to go through here and look at, I'm looking at your Kickstarter page. And um, even though you didn't get press, you were still able to generate a massive amount of social proof and kind of credibility. Like I'm looking at the two photos that you have on your Kickstarter page and it's, it's you speaking to a large audience. Now, you have two photos where you're just kind of speaking to a large audience. So you're psychologically kind of engineering that social proof that, you know, there's a lot of people who are really interested in what you have to say. And that kind of like, I don't know, that kind of establishes you as like um, someone who's worth listening to. And then I should like really kind of read what you're saying, I guess. And yeah. in your headline, um, you're really good at connecting with uh, someone emotionally, like an emotional um, frustration that they have. Because you say, tired of bull, uh, excuse me, bullshit marketing and growth hacking books that don't give you any effing idea about what you have to do to get users, traffic, and revenue. So it's really powerful. You're connecting with a frustration because people will they'll spend more money to solve a problem than they will to try to gain something. And um, I think that just the impression that the, the Kickstarter page gives off is really well done. And um, I actually read a, a breakdown of your process that you used uh, when you were preparing for this. Uh, Austin posted on Reddit. And um, so he said that your strengths were uh, building a list um, and then kind of engineering sort of virality, I guess. You yeah. didn't get a lot of PR, but uh, one thing you guys did really well is um, building the list uh, getting your backers and your foot soldiers out, sharing the message. Um, I know you've used some tools. Can you tell me about this? Like uh, qat.com. Uh, that's Q-U-E-U-E at dot C-O-M. Yeah. And um, tell me about your process there. Yeah. So most people, when they have a landing page, they send people to just the standard, thank you for giving us your email. We'll let you know when we launch. 
Um, and that's bad because people are all excited about your product and then you've just cut them off so they can't do anything. So with queue at, you put them in a viral waiting queue in, say, 500 of place, and you say, uh, share this with your friends, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter to get further up the queue. And then at the top of the queue, you get rewards. So for us, it was we'll write your blog post, we'll do some growth hacking consultancy, we'll do webinars with you. For other companies, it could be you get our product first, you get free samples, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you have pe- things that make people want to join the competition and people love gamification. So because of that, um, we had loads of people share it. We had over 100% extra people than we invited. And we had 2,200 people on launch day who uh, started sharing. And as soon as, of course, the book came out, we then had a lot of those people go and buy the book. Um, I think we ended with like 2,700 after the campaign. So we had all of those people to give us a really unfair advantage to make sure that we did well. And we made over $10,000 in the first day uh, from you know a big chunk of these people going, yeah, I've been really excited about this product. I've been sharing it. And then, yeah, it, it was really simple to set up. That's brilliant. I think I remember, um, you know, Harry's, the shaving uh, brand, right? Shaving company? Uh, Harry's, yeah. Yeah, they did, they did a similar thing when they launched where they had, like, this competition and um, they had to get, you know, everyone had to, like, tell friends. And if they, if they the more people they told, um, like, they would get higher level rewards. And yeah. so it was kind of yeah, this yeah. big competition and you could see what everyone else was doing. And I've always wanted to do something like that. And I've, I try to, like, incentivize people. I'm like, here, if you, you know, write a review, I'll give you something for free. But um, those messages, are, they often don't get through. And... Um, you're telling me that this this tool. I'm looking at the site now. I've never heard of it before until uh, today. Uh, Q at can can do uh, like a kind of a contest like this? yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they are generally working with big companies and marketing agencies, but they're soon rolling out something for everyone. Very cool. So I'm. Uh, what do you? How do you have to get started with this? Do you have to? Uh... I think if you just message them, it'll begin the process. Okay. Did you have to to pay some money up front, or is like a membership site? How does it work? Uh, you'd have to ask them. Okay. <laughs> but but you guys used it with great success, though. Yeah, uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, really, really good. Okay, cool. And uh, what are some of the things that you give away here? Uh, for, our, for our competition? Yeah. So we gave away uh, free growth hacking consultancy and webinars and uh, entrance to a secret growth hackers club where people can ask questions that we'll answer about their marketing. Um, and for the top winner, we wrote, we'll write a blog post for them. Um, so if we had a, a real product, it would have been a little easier to give people first access um, and sort of free copies type thing. But our, our main goal with this was to drive sales once we were launched. Did you do yeah. a lot of research on who your um, who your backers were and who these people are? Like, were you really targeted so that you uh, really knew what they want, like what you could give them? Yeah, um, yeah. we're very close to our audience because I constantly give talks with them. That's like a competitive advantage we have, so I know exactly. One. Okay, so I know that um, both you and Austin, you do a lot of public speaking. I've I've never really. I've done like some talks at college campuses, but uh, you're never like professional public speaking. Uh, how are you able to? Um, how are you able to like book these events and and get yourself invited to talk at all these places? So, if you want to start public speaking, go on Meetup and Eventbrite, tap in your niche, and then you find all the groups that have public talks. And then you create two paragraphs. So you say, hey, I'm a big fan of your meetup. Can I come and give a talk? Uh, Something like the 10 problems of our industry, 10 things everyone does wrong in our industry, how to improve in our industry. Um, I I have a massive network. I can invite, just say that. They never check. And then copy and paste that to all of the groups. And then about 25% will get back to you. And then you're off to the races. The whole room has to listen to you. It's not randomly bumbling around the room networking then you meet someone who's in finance and you're like oh you know okay very cool so just go to eventbrite meetup and then you just um look up keywords in your niche and say hey i'm a big fan i want to talk about uh 10 things get better at whatever it is uh can i give a talk and and you have a very high success rate with that yeah 
Okay. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. Um, what was I going to ask you next? <laughs> uh, so, so what else? I mean, what else? Uh, what other tips can you give us here? Like, or, you know, what? Um, I know that uh, you know, like, I really like what you guys have done because it's it's totally opposite of what most people do when they uh, want to sell eBooks. Um, you know, like, there's so many wannabe authors out there that are just like, you know. They, they sell maybe a few copies to, like, their family and their friends or whatever, or they upload it to Amazon and uh, selling books for $2.99. Uh, but what you guys are doing, I mean, you're selling a book for $50, and, and, you know, when people are used to buying e-books as, like, a microtransaction. Um, so I really like that it's, like, a different strategy and um, different way of uh, attacking uh, publishing, I guess, self-publishing. Yeah, so we always see it as a way of reaching a lot of people. Like, we, we never want to think small with the projects we're working on. Yeah, and I think that part of it, too, is, you know, I, I'll publish a lot of stuff, like, on Udemy and Amazon because they already have users, and um, I'm trying to take advantage of their users. But when you're able to drive your own traffic and get your own users, then you can, say, piss off to these other platforms and keep all the profits, right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's very much the era of uh, taking the power back from middlemen. You know, that, that's one of the themes of the Internet right now and one of the most exciting uh, times to be producing anything. <clears throat> um, so you will need other people, but you don't definitely need them, and they're not the only route right now. What were some of the other uh, big wins for you guys? I mean, I know you did a lot of posting on Reddit. Did that drive a lot of um, a lot of people behind your campaign? It drove quite a lot of people. It didn't drive a lot of sales, um, but we we didn't do that much on there. Um, I mean, here's an idea for anyone listening that will make millions. Can you please absolve all of that direct traffic? Like eighty percent of our Kickstarter was direct. So direct is. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram from the app, anyone browsing privately, anyone um, untagged emails, uh, anyone typing the address in the bar. Like you can, you can tag some links, but um, for the most part, yeah, direct traffic is a big muddy mess. So if someone can have an easy way of um, dissolving all of that so that the lay person can use it, like obviously technical people like us can, uh, you know, make the best of it. But even then, we never get it 100% because we can't control where the traffic comes from. Um, but, yeah, direct is a big mess. But, yeah, Facebook, Twitter, and internal kick, uh, into, uh, Kickstarter was huge. That was like $12,000. Um, wow. like, so people from within Kickstarter buying from us. And we were quite low. Other people have like 25% to uh, 45%. We had like 18% internal kickstarter so if it's like again a really fun quirky product anyone could use our product was for a very small niche of people uh startup people into marketing it's a very small niche but yeah if you're designing a widget or something anyone can use yeah you get crazy money within kickstarter kickstarter's network effects are fantastic yeah and and it, i think it helps when you get your first you hit your goal in four hours uh, <laughs> and yeah um, I'm I'm looking over your strategy right now. What what Austin wrote, and it just seemed like you guys were hustling really hard uh, during your launch. Like you're blasting out on status updates, uh, using Thunderclap, tweeting every 30 minutes, uh, posting in Facebook groups, and um, and then you know obviously you're getting a lot of shares through through uh, the tool like QAT. And um, how effective was automation? Because I know that you were sending out like a lot of automated tweets and stuff like this. Like hey, check out my Kickstarter. Some, but it was more that we were getting our interns to do things. Uh, automation has to have a human, uh, a human behind it, really, or it doesn't work. And oh. you see people sending those automated DMs on Twitter, and they look horrible. No one's ever going to click or read them. So, <laughs> I've actually yeah, been having have pretty good uh, success with uh, Instagram automated commenting, but it's using. Um, we were talking about Mass Planner before the call, and. Uh, it, it can do like spin tax, spin syntaxes for certain uh, for comments. Mm -hmm. So you can target uh, certain hashtags um, like uh, entrepreneurism or hustle every day, something like this. And then you can say, you know, comment like, uh, yeah, keep hustling. Um, wish you all the best for your goals or something like this. And you can like spin the comment 
And yeah. um, I find people are really engaging with that a lot through Instagram, and they almost can't tell. I mean, I think most of them can't tell that it's automated. Yeah, yeah. On the internet, no one knows you're a dog. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm kind of curious, though, because uh, because I, you know, my situation, like I'm I'm getting a lot of. Uh, engaging a lot of people but then you know how do you kind of like get them into what's the best way to kind of get them into your funnel and uh just like converting them how do you mean um you're just like giving something away for free like what's your call to action when you you send out messages um like uh just go check out our kickstarter campaign is that, that pretty much all you're doing and that works. Yeah. So, well, we've 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 earned trust and authority over time. Mm. So we've been, you know, giving a lot of talks for free, writing content. Austin's had millions of people read his content. Um, and then there's an ask. Like you, you have to build that up over time. Okay. Gotcha. So you're just nurturing these relationships for when you need them. Yeah. Okay, very cool. And you mentioned that you have a team of interns. How are you? Um, how are you using these interns? How did you get them to to work for you? What are you do? What are you having them do? How are you using them effectively? So that's a topic of interest. I think that a lot of people might want to know more about. So um, yeah, so you want to be doing um, the ultimate minimum. You need to be outsourcing everything that can be. Like I still haven't quite mastered this, but yeah. You need to outsource absolutely everything that's possible to do. As an entrepreneur, you want to handle everything, but uh, outsourcing is such a critical thing to allow you to do more. Like Sam Altman of Y Combinator said you should be spending 25 to 50% of um, your time hiring, which is amazing if you think about it. So um, any advice for hiring and, and how are you able to – are you paying these interns? I mean, how are you getting them to, to work for yeah. you? I mean, I know that you know when I get intern when I've worked with interns before, like I, I have to spend a lot of extra time trying to train them, you know, like I almost feel like it's extra work. And uh, in my experience, like it almost wasn't worth it, you know. Well, it's it, look for interns. Yeah, well, you have to hire good interns who are naturally smart. I find the best ones, like the last guy I had, um, they want they're going to build their own company and they have an idea, um, but they don't want to do it yet. They want to learn everything. Um, so that when in six months' time they want to launch it, they have all of that. So I think that's really the key because it goes beyond money. And, of course, pay them because they'll stop as soon as they get paid somewhere else. But, um, yeah, so that was my last intern. So he, he, like, he wanted to build something similar to what I was doing. So it was fantastic. He was, like, learning, and he has a reason beyond money and beyond doing an internship to really want to do well. Uh, as, and I, I wouldn't hire an intern who runs their own company outside of this. You, you'll never have their full attention. And um, how much do you recommend uh, paying them, and, and how long do, does the internship period usually last? Do you hire them as an employee, or do they just kind of go off after six months and start their own thing? Um, yeah, it, it can be short-term, like, like you know, two, three, four months. And then what do you typically have them do? And, and do you have, like, uh, systems, like you hand down operating procedures? How do you typically uh, uh, deploy them effectively? Yeah, so you, you tell them you have to understand it yourself. That's what I always say with social media. Um, you have to learn it yourself so that you can then train other people how to do it. Uh, you, people hire interns who don't know what they're doing. It's a waste of time. So you've obviously learned a lot very quickly. Um, you're the expert at a lot of different things. How do you kind of hack learning, I guess? Um, how do you learn and become an expert at a lot of these different things really quickly? Um, spend time with it, really. <laughs> I mean, that, do you, you do, just you have do spend speed a lot of reading, time. or do you just like you have you're very selective about the information intake that you have? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, and I, I'm sure I could talk about a lot of hacks that one could do, but. Yeah, it, it begins with spending a lot of time. You know, that's that's going to outweigh any of the small hacks mm. while you're still seeing your friends and drinking alcohol and uh, trying to live a life outside of business. The hard work, even hard work done badly will do better than, you know what I mean, only, only spending half your time on your company rather than 12 hours a day. Yeah, like you mentioned earlier about uh, Steve Jobs and uh, others who have been really successful, they're spending 12, uh, 12 plus hours each day on their business. Yeah. So there's no substitute for that uh, extra work, that uh, getting near to the point of burnout, like you said. Yeah. 
Very cool, man. Well, we, we really covered a lot uh, in this call, and uh, thank you for this uh, cool. us on this whirlwind of a podcast. <laughs> we, awesome. We t- yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, is there anything that we should touch on that we haven't, or anything you'd like to um, talk no, about? I mean, if people like this, then they should check out uh, Secret Source, the step-by-step guide to growth hacking on Indiegogo right now. Um, we'll put a link in the footer right there. But yeah, um, my book goes through all of this in much more detail, SEO, SEM, content marketing, building a landing page, tracking links, um, sales, so many things. Uh, So yeah, book and video course, if you search secret source on Indiegogo or bit.ly forward slash Indiegogo, I-N-D-I-E-G-O in capitals, you'll find it. Excellent. So we'll put a link to that on your uh, show notes page and... um I wanted to ask you about that, too, because you had the Kickstarter end uh, last week, I think, or maybe two weeks ago. Um, but then you kind of have the crowdfunding continuing. On yeah, Indiegogo. sorry, How say you... that again. Yeah, sure. So you, you actually had your Kickstarter end a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Um, but your crowdfunding is still ongoing through Indiegogo. And I didn't even, I'd never even heard of this. Even though your Kickstarter campaign is over, you're still able to raise money through Indiegogo. Um, how were you able to do that? Can you tell me about that? Uh, Vince, you there? Yeah, sorry, say that again. Oh, sorry, this connection here drops sometimes. Um, I just wanted to ask you, so so your Kickstarter actually ended a couple of weeks ago, but you still have this crowdfunding going on through Indiegogo, and I'd actually never heard about this before, that you could continue yeah. crowdfunding like this. Um, how were you able to make it happen? Is anyone able to do that? I'm sure anyone can sign up to In Demand. They they came to us, um, I don't know, maybe because we had a successful within the first day. But yeah, I'm pretty sure anyone can sign up, same rules as Indiegogo. Um, so yeah, it, it runs for as long as you want. They take 5%, I think. Um, and yeah, it's like people think that when the Kickstarter ends, I don't know, everyone in that second just goes back to their lives. But Got to think all that outflow you put out, press if you got it, Twitter, email. People may not see it straight away; they may see it over time. So then they click through, and then oh, it's over. Uh, oh, okay, well that's that, and then they go back to Facebook or whatever. But now we have—you um, still got a second chance to buy it. Click here; it's like the big button when they get to the Kickstarter. So um, yeah, Kickstarter's the number one referral of traffic right now to Indiegogo. So it carries on. Uh, we haven't actually done any work promoting it. Um, like we are going. To to, to carry on but um yeah we've literally zero just turning it on we made three thousand dollars in a few days yeah you guys haven't yeah. done anything and it's, it's i think it's three thousand three hundred uh up now up to this point um and that's that's really cool and i thought that these two platforms were competing with each other so i didn't even realize that this was even possible <laughs> but yeah yeah and then that kind of just runs indefinitely well very cool so you've in just over a month i mean you raised over Almost seventy thousand for this ebook. Yeah, really incredible. And um, I know that if if you if you don't maybe you don't have fifty dollars to spend, but I think if you do, donate just one dollar, uh, you can be invited to the Growth Hackers Club on Facebook, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. if you want to get more from Vincent and uh, what he's up to, uh, check out that campaign, Secret Sauce. We'll put a link to that. Check out his blog, VincentDignan.com. You can get a lot of great stuff for free on there. And um, you can donate as little as $1, or if you want to get some of these other prizes, you can uh, spend a little bit more. But um, definitely learn everything you can, because he's sharing some great stuff here. And I just want to say thank you so much for being so generous with your time, Vincent. It was great. Cool. All right. Awesome. Take care. Thanks.